Welcome to Desperately Seeking the 80s. I am Meg. And I am Jessica. And Meg and I have been friends since 1982. We got through middle school and high school together here in New York City, where we still live. And where we podcast about New York City in the 80s. I do Ripped from the Headlines. And I do Pop Culture. And we're doing two field trips in a row. Yes. Which is kind of crazy for us. I think that we're just breaking new and exciting ground. And today we are interviewing Beckett Rossett. How do we even begin, Beckett? I love what you guys do and being of a certain age. For better or worse, the 80s are a big part of my upbringing. It was not the best of times. Well, exactly. Like, one thing the three of us have in common that maybe some of the people who have interviewed you recently do not have in common with you is that we're actually your age. <laughs> and we there are people my age somewhere. Thank So I'll just say, Meg, you and Beckett know one another because you are an actor and you performed at his space and then became friends. Right. And I attended one of your performances there. So I know that the space is really amazing. And that there's a very eclectic group of people who will come and, you know, enjoy whatever the cultural event is that's happening there right now. But Beckett, why don't you just start by, you know, in the most, you know, 10,000 foot view way, just explain what is the space and how have you been using it and allowing artists into your space to create something that's very new, but also very old. The short version is I met this woman named Mary Kaplan damn near 30 years ago. I was living in a bedbug infested apartment in Bushwick with my two cats, Molly and Eloise, and we had to get out of there. And I had just met Mary and I asked her if I could stay there for a week till I could find a new place to live. So I was, she, she actually said, I feel sorry for your cats. Why don't you stay here for a week? That's what she said. Little did I know, because this was 2001, post 9-11, that I would still be there. Mary, sadly, is no longer with us, nor are my cats, although they made it to 19 and 21. I still have Mary's cat, Misho, who is 19, who Meg got a gift for who caught a mouse last night. But anyway, so moving forward, Mary passed away. The building was in foreclosure, a shit ton of financial problems. And I had been trying to make the space into something for 20 years. But and Mary loved the idea. She's a huge theater supporter, donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to small theater groups in her life. I was reading up about her today. It She definitely seemed of a type of New York privileged, bohemian, patron of the arts. I hope those women still exist out there. Like a Canonica type. You know, the woman who was, she supported, um, oh God, I'm going to look at one of the jazz greats. I can't remember. But she was from a, a super privileged family and sort of left them behind to be yeah well mary was sort of the uh what do you call it the black sheep of her family as i am of mine and she was definitely a patroness of the arts to the fullest extent possible do do you think that she recognized a black sheep when she met one probably she said i needed help little did i know what was it like growing up in you grew up in the west village four blocks from where we're sitting our five blocks, West Houston between 6th and Varick, the block the film forum is on. 
And I went to the Little Red Schoolhouse, and then they asked me not to return when it came time to go to EI because I was a terror. I was a menace. I made teachers cry. I destroyed property. I got in fights. When I was a kid, my name, Beckett, became Bucket, Fuck It, Suck It. So, And why is that? Do you remember why you were upset? cruel. No, why were you upset? Probably because my parents were not parents. And I was just a wild, unmanageable child, out of control, all three pounds of me. Mm -hmm. I was faster than everybody. I could do things that nobody else could do, but I had no emotional control at all. And it just made my life hell. And then I became a drug addict. It's interesting. On the podcast, we've talked about a few stories of boys in New York City. When I was just going through all of our past episodes today, we've done stories on four different young boys who at a very early age in the 80s growing up in New York, something went off and then that was it. It was like there was no coming back. And I don't know if that's something about the place, something about the time, something about being a boy, but it struck me as a pattern. For sure. Well, certainly any any kid, boy or girl, needs their parents to play a role in their development. And when you don't have that, and some need it more than others, and I probably needed it 24-7 because I was so out of control. I mean, I can't explain to you. Insanely out of control. Like, but anyway, I was born in 1969. My birthday was last week. So, thank you. I was 11 in 1980, and I got kicked out of a boarding school, I think in 82, a place called Rumsey Hall, and I had a friend there, and he got kicked out. His name was Charlie, and he lived on Horatio Street, and at that point, I was living on 11th between Bleecker and Hudson. My parents got divorced when I was 10, so I was with my mom and my sister there, and Charlie and I became friends. And at the age of like 12 or 13, we were going to the no longer no longer existing 8th Street Playhouse and watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. So I spent my early teen years in a very, what now would be called, trans gay world, despite being neither. And I had a shit ton of fun. And as it is now, it was then with the cocaine. That's what's so weird. Like, everybody did coke in the 80s. And now that's what these people do. I mean, they also do this other stuff. But I was shocked to see people doing cocaine. Okay, like, that's the fashionable drug now. And speaking of, just to quickly digress, so I don't sound like a total lunatic about Panonica. So Mary Kaplan does come from this tradition of of women of privilege. Panonica was a Rothschild and wound up being the patron and then um, lover of Thelonious Monk. Field trip, field trip, field trip, field trip. What else did you and Charlie get up to? So, well, Charlie likes smoking pot, which he still likes. You're still and, friends. Yes, Actually went up there. He lives in Maine during COVID briefly to escape. It was beautiful up there. I'm so glad to hear that. Yes, exactly. He's my oldest friend. So we hung out with these people. We're doing whippets and snorting coke and smoking weed. Would you explain to everybody what a whippet is? Because that's a very 80s thing. That's also back in... Shut up. I've seen more people do whippets in the last year. It's horrifying. 
I did one and I was like, I'm going to die. No more of this. <laughs> I mean, it's probably worse for you than the rest of those drugs in its own weird way. A Whippet is a nitrous oxide cartridge, which you would make whipped cream out of or seltzer water and you blow it. You have this device that opens it and it fills up like a balloon or something and you inhale it. And it basically cuts off all the oxygen to your brain, which is why you feel high. You're basically being suffocated. Now, I remember in the 80s, there was a period of time where the supermarkets took them off the shelves because kids would just go in and stick them down their pants. Exactly. <laughs> but so the other thing about the 80s, Charlie's parents were in the restaurant business. And I mean, in a big way. So the 1980s uh, food world is known for Nouvelle Cuisine and chefs like Jonathan Waxman. Charlie's parents opened restaurants with Jonathan Waxman. And one of my very first jobs was working at one of their restaurants. With, and I remember Jonathan screaming at me because I Nouvelle Cuisine, everything was small, yeah. tiny, very petite little things. So like, for example, they would give me a head of bunch of lettuce, romaine lettuce to prep. I would have to take off like 90% or 80% of the leaves and throw them out. And he was screaming at me because I wasn't taking off enough leaves. That's so 80s, isn't it? I mean, the waste waste of it. I think of the 80s, I think of Ronald Reagan, which to me was the political and economic beginning of the ends. Neoliberalism was spawning its ugly head. People making fortunes overnight in a different way than now because the internet wasn't happening. Uh, just waste, greed, Donald Trump, you know, a New Yorker, just things like that. Miami Vice, you know, I had big jackets, silk white jackets with shoulder pads and all that crap. And we'd go out, we could eat for free. We'd get filet mignon, pink champagne at his parents' restaurants. Then we'd go get some cocaine and go watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And we were like 14. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting because every time something happens with, with, of all people, Drew Barrymore, there's always a lot of press. And the press that people care about is what happened to her in the 80s and as a child and all of that excess. And I think what's so interesting about what you're talking about is it's always treated in the press as though that's like a bizarre thing. And in fact, it seems quite common that people in New York City who were not looked after, which is really what you're saying, that there are a lot of kids, latchkey kids are a thing that we talk about a lot. And there is an underparenting and 80s excess being so uh, it's so easy to it was easy to get if you if you wanted it or even if you didn't, it was offered. And there's a lot of tragedy, too, because, uh, as you know, the AIDS epidemic occurred in the 1980s. My mother was an emergency room nurse at a hospital that sadly now no longer exists called St. Vincent's, which was on 7th Avenue and 11th, between 11th. I want to do a story about St. Vincent's. I went to nursing school there and then became an ER nurse. She would come home in tears because people were dropping like flies. Almost all of my non-straight friends are dead. And every single one of them died from AIDS. They should all be sitting here with me 54 years old, but they're not, sadly. So those are some of the negative, you know, things. And also in the 1980s, something called crack came out, which destroyed New York City. I mean, New York was bankrupt and 
fucked up in the 70s, but then in the 80s, it became a whole new kind of fucked up because there was money because Reagan changed the tax rates and people could get away with murder on Wall Street. And in a weird way, maybe that did have a trickle-down effect, even though I do not believe in trickle-down economics. But uh, there was so much money floating around, and then you have this very obtainable, very cheap drug that is everywhere and homelessness took off, the murder rate took off, crime took off, and I ended up doing that for a while. You well, know? I was about to ask you, so last we heard you're smoking pot and doing cocaine with your friend Charlie. Taking acid and mushrooms and doing whippets. And are you going home during this period of Sometimes, time? Sometimes, but less and less. I pretty much moved out, I think, when I was like 16, staying with some friends on the Upper East Side. Didn't get along with my mother, my father. There was no relationship. You said that your parents divorced when you were 10? So, when, 1979. And was your sister in your household with your mom? Yeah, but we were not close. We're still not close. And she's normal. She went to (laughs) Michigan. She's got three kids. She lives in Michigan. She's a nurse practitioner. So when you left Rumsey, was that it for school? No, then I went to Blair Academy. First, I went to New Lincoln, a private school on the Upper East Side that doesn't exist for a couple of months. And they wanted nothing to do with me. And then I went to I think my mother like somehow scraped the money together for me to go to this other boarding school called Blair in Blairstown, New Jersey. I lasted three and a half weeks or something. Oh, wow. Some guy gave me some booze. I got drunk. I blacked out. And that was it. I feel so bad for the little Beckett. Like, I just picture you because I bet you were short. How tall were you when you were tiny? But I was an athlete. I played football. I was night. I was a good pitcher. I was a co-captain of the football team at Rumsey. Like, I knew what I was. I was just good at it. But then I ended up uh, getting my GED and going to classes in some guy's apartment because he wasn't accredited. Best education I ever got from this guy, Bill Meyer. And it was just crazy, somewhat well-off kids who had all gotten kicked out of schools. Oh, my God. So he had, like, a business that he ran for you yeah. guys to come in like, to his apartment. Us. Like, we learned about the Habsburgs. We studied philosophy in a way that I had never studied it. He wanted me to become a philosopher. He even visited me in jail. Field trip, field trip, field trip, field trip. And this is where you grew up. Yeah. Now... You weren't here all the way through. You moved away. No. I I mean, I moved with Charlie when his parents went out west. I lived in Hollywood for a year when I was like 19. It was horrible. And then it was great. They moved to the south of France, and they sort of took me along to be have, so their son would have a friend. Did you like Charlie's parents? Yeah. No, I love them. They're amazing people. Charlie's mom was more of a mother to me than my own mother. And they're amazing cooks and amazing wine connoisseurs. So they know how to have a good time. You know, it can only go so far. You're not blood. Plus, I did a lot of shit to piss them off. I crashed their car. I drank their entire wine cellar one night. I had sex with a girl in their bed. And they came home and, like, found her blonde pubic hairs in the bed. Oh, my God. I I was still out of control. And I'm, like, 20. So I have to ask the question. Because we've talked about kids who we went to school with and we're like, whatever. Like there was we did a whole story about these two redheaded twins who went to the Fleming school with me who were out of control. And everyone was like, whatever happened to them? Do you know 
at this stage in your life, why you were so out of control or what? Emotionally disturbed child. That's it. I Things I don't want to go into. Then you don't have to. Not And obviously I became a drug addict. So that doesn't help your chances. Right. And I still battle with it. You know, I mean, I don't do hard stuff, but I became an IV drug user. But that was in the 90s. And I was sober, totally sober for 10 years. But in the 80s, I was just out of control. Luckily, I hadn't discovered heroin by then, but I would in the 90s. But the 80s, talk about polarization, which we are certainly experiencing in society now. Then it was more economic polarization. There wasn't lunatics with guns killing children, you know, and being neo-Nazis, which is what just happens. But um, just the wealth disparity really took off in the 80s because of Reagan and the stock market, Wall Street, you know, all those movies about it. What's the DiCaprio movie, The Wolf of Wall Street? I couldn't watch yes. that. Slime bags like I, that. I, I, I got through like the first five minutes of it and I was like, I am not in the mood for this. No, thank you. I actually watched it and it seems pretty legit. Field trip, field trip, field trip. Field trip. You know, I mean, it's movie-fied, but still, you know. But so for me, what with the space, I don't give it a name. The New York Times called it Beckett's, which I seem to be stuck with. I'm appalled by that. I don't want anything named after me or Samuel Beckett, my namesake. I don't think it's appropriate. I survived because I don't have a name. This happened organically and almost by accident. I tried to make let Mary let me do this years ago. It took, sadly, for her to die for me to be able to do it. But I thank her every night. And Mary is smiling down on this somewhere. She loves theater. She would be so happy to know that this stuff is going on there. Like, it would nothing would have ever made her happier. What prompted, I mean, I, I know that you wanted to do this for a long time, but what is the motivation or the impetus Part for you to want to do It was economic desperation because I was penniless and jobless. I thought I was getting thrown out. It's like I've had multiple times where I was this, you know, uh, an inch from being thrown out. And I'm back to that again right now. I still have no lease. I have no, I've just lived there for 22 years. But you wanted to start a, the a theatrical... Be a bookstore cafe during the day, maybe some furniture, and then at night be like a lounge with some cool live music centered around the piano and some jazz or something like that, and then some performances like like reading my writing, other writers, or doing theater. And you also have tents now, which is huge. Because my dad was a book publisher. He owned Grove Press. He published Samuel Beckett. That's why my name is Beckett. Beckett won the Nobel in 1969, the year I was born. So that's why he named me Beckett. So I have that in my blood. I always wanted to be a publisher when I was a kid or a writer. That's all I've ever wanted to be. And so I'm sort of trying to do that. And I am launching a literary, literary magazine called Tents. And I'm hoping to get the first issue out in September. And I model it after my dad's magazine, Evergreen Review, which still exists as an online entity, where it's going to be, my magazine is going to be political. It's going to be sexy. I feel like sex 
has become something else in this day and age. It's nauseating. I don't that. I, I want to hear your the internet. It's because of porn. I have very strong opinions about this, so I really want to hear what your take is, and then I'll. Took my lighter, took my dipper. Who is? Who He's is a scientist. Really? He's a scientist. Fascinating. He's been to the space multiple times. One of the locals that makes. I like a seersucker. Yeah, exactly. He always wears that. <laughs> it's getting a little tighter. <laughs> But you met Robert earlier, like yes, we have to talk to Robert. Local denizens that I hang out with, which I love, yeah. which is why I love this bar. Well, it's so nice that by happenstance you managed to come back home again. Oh, it was totally random. I couldn't believe I was four blocks or five blocks from where I grew up. I was like, how the fuck did I end up here? I was living in Bed Stuy, <laughs> you know, sticking a needle in my arm and. Then I end up here. I got clean here. My cats got to live most of their very long lives here. So, I mean, it's, in many ways, I am incredibly lucky. Field trip, field trip, field trip, field trip. So, so the magazine is a wonderful focus for you right now. Like, yeah, I, I want to find new voices. I want it to be a mix of some established people, but I really want to focus on new young writers. Well, just like got a lot of them hanging well, around. Well, that's what I've been doing. And that's also what I wanted to do with the space was provide a place that gives an opportunity to largely unknown people, almost like it's off, off, off Broadway in a way. You know what I mean? Have these young people been snapping up the opportunity? Yeah, I got so many people who want to perform. I can't even tell you. I mean, I've had I had an amazing opera singer who's blind perform one night. I've had a ballet dancer perform multiple times. Pole dancers now. You, we've had comedy shows, poetry readings, readings from novels, magazine parties, book parties, disco parties probably put on a play 60 times here. I mean, it's insane. And I'll commission people. Like, there's people I want to write for tents. I'll be like, you, please, beg I'm begging you, write something, I will pay you. I did a Kickstarter, and I raised 14 grand, which freaked me the fuck out. That's I was amazing. like, the two things that the money needs to go to are uh, the printing costs, which I think I might have covered separately and paying the, the writers because I need to pay the writers. I'm a writer. I want to get paid, so they should get paid. And I don't mean 50 bucks. No, I'm not the New Yorker. You're not going to get thousands of dollars, but I want to get you something that's at least makes it worth your while. And I need to do another fundraiser. I really wanted to raise a hundred grand, but that was a little far-fetched. So I started oh, I with, I well, maybe it's not. I just started with a lower number. It's all about self-confidence and believing and being willing to take risks. And I'm a risk yes. taker. And there is a huge momentum behind not just you personally and not just the space, but also what you represent, I think, to a lot of these younger people is like a bohemia that they didn't experience themselves and that they they want to know more about. There's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of energy behind it. And it doesn't seem to be fading. I was a little taken aback, though, how important I am to it. For I'm not somebody who relishes the spotlight, but I have I see the writing on the wall and I know the only way I'm going to be really market things is by putting myself out there. I've also been just reading at my events 
and people seem to really like it. So I personally think they like the subject matter more than my writing, but whatever. It's isn't it kind of one in the same? Well, there's, there's the subject and the voice, and you know what? If if you get a toehold with one of them, you're ahead of most. So that's well, people like hearing about jail and drug addicts and homelessness and all the insanity that my life was in the '90s. So I give it to them. Give like there's a Kinks song. First concert I ever saw was the Kinks. I think I was 11. So 1980. And there's one of their songs, Give the People What They Want. Field trip, field trip, field trip, field trip. Have you ever thought about moving out of New York? Constantly. <laughs> I was not expecting I have that. no money. Like, I need money to leave. Well, not now. Like, I don't. That's wild. Right now, I want to stay here until I'm like, I mean, I'm so burned out though. Like, I haven't, I need a vacation. Mm -hmm. I think I just need, I have not had a vacation. I've got to tell you, Jessica, he works his fucking ass off. I'm worrying about the building, the old cat. Like, I can't just leave, you know? If you could live anywhere else, where would you go? My little fantasy I've been telling people is I just want to meet a woman who, I love and she loves me and she's some kind of artist too. And we just get a little place in the country somewhere where we have a bunch of stray animals and a huge ass garden. So we just spend all day gardening, taking care of the animals and writing or painting or whatever. And that's it. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. I think it's, it's so interesting how New Yorkers you know, and and I mean like natives, like we are. There, there is this crucial moment of, I think I'm done. Yeah. You know, and and even can't afford to be done right now, though. No, no. I mean, frankly, neither can I. You know, it's it's really it's a bizarre. Um, you know, it's not quite golden handcuffs, but it's it's in there. Yeah. Kind of like I feel trapped. But I think if I could just periodically get away, like a lot of people are able to do, that would probably help. If I don't have that river to go walk by every day, I lose my mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, I Water. couldn't get out of bed today because I was so depressed. The first thing I did was go down to the river and just walk in the sun. I need sun. But it's also, I mean, it takes a lot of money to live here. But it's interesting to hear you say, like, you can't afford to leave. Because it also generates, a, being here is where, you know. You can do something like become successful as a writer or long, long, long shot as an actor or something that I can do from other places, I can't leave here. Plus, even just leaving this neighborhood, forget leaving New York, I am so attached to this neighborhood. It is my home in every sense of the word. I will fight for it. I defend it, you know? And so just leaving here is going to be traumatizing. You know, they say, like, what, breakups, moving, and getting a job. Those are the three worst things. And I agree. And, of course, people dying, but, you know. <laughs> like, other than that, other than death. You've had a little bit of all of that. Yeah. Well, if you live long enough, you all, everybody will. Uh, the other way that you know I'm a New Yorker, oops, I'll show you on my phone. We all have these apps, you know? So, like, Tuesday, April 11th, I walked uh, 12 miles. 
The next day I walked 11 miles. The next day I walked nine miles. And that day I didn't get out of bed. And that day I didn't get out of bed. But generally I walk like eight miles a day. I just walk. And that's a New York thing. Nice. If there are-, are you mostly walking for to run errands or because you need to clear your head? Save my life. It's my antidepressant. It works way better than any SSRI. I do what I called old man parkour. <laughs> so I go down to the river. I go down to the river. I put these AirPod things in my ears. I crank the music as loud as possible. And I dance and I jump off of things and I just bug the fuck out. And people are like, what? And I've been doing it for like a year and it's changed my life. Though so it's good exercise. It keeps me agile and it's fun. What are you listening to? Get out of my head. 70s, 80s, that's, 90s. That's what? Look who you're talking to. I love the Rolling Stones. I listen to the Stones. I listen to Bob Dylan. But then I'll listen to like Donna Summer or the Bee Gees because you can move to it. You know, dance music is better because you can just get down. I mean, I go down there at four in the morning or four in the afternoon. I'm down there screaming my brains out sometimes. It's amazing. I have thousands of pictures of the sunsets now, which are oddly beautiful. It's like you're in Costa Rica, except you're looking at Jersey. (laughs) What the fuck? How did that happen? (laughs) I was like, I don't remember sunsets like that when I was a kid, okay? Field trip, field trip, field trip, field trip. I am a den mother in a way because I do care. I don't have kids. Probably, I sadly, I don't think I'm going to have kids. I wish I had the pleasure of, of doing that. And so in some ways, I've embraced this whole thing in that way. It's like an uncle or a father or a big brother or whatever. And I do care about them in a way that I don't think they get. And so when I get upset, it's emotional, you know, because I care about them. So talking about these kids and wanting to nurture them, what is the best of the 80s that they can't experience that you would say, let me show you this or let me share this with you or this is something that you should you know, do? Something from the 80s wasn't exactly a great time, but I would say, I would just say, it's just be nice to people. That's it. How many times I woke up on the street with food by my head, but with money, with clean clothes when I was in jail and I was the only white boy in a 50 unit housing thing. These guys saved my life. Total strangers. No idea what happened to them. Like things like that. So you just don't know. Like I I don't believe in God per se, but I kind of do believe in karma. So I just try to do good shit. And whether that's giving somebody a chance or holding a door open or just trying to be nice. And it's also like, don't judge people right off the bat, which I used to do. It's like, give people a chance. You know what I mean? Trying to be more tolerant, especially in the age that we now live in, where there is no tolerance for anything. It's like Mary. Yeah, exactly. Totally. So that's all I try to do. I'm trying to create a sort of a, an artistic home for people. I tell people I don't own the building. I'm on food stamps. Mary left this as a gift, and I am compelled to share it with everybody. 
And that's what I've been trying to do. Well, I'm completely inspired by you, Beckett. Absolutely. Not just by what you've done with this space, but also by tents and just knowing you. You're an incredible oh, it's person. It's a pleasure to know you. It is. And it's a pleasure meeting. It's wonderful meeting. 